I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to season nine of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we are talking USDA and college tennis with Tim Cass. Tim is the general manager of USTA's national campus in Lake Nona, Florida, and I am thrilled to have an opportunity to talk to Tim about the USTA's role in college tennis, their plan to help U.S. junior players as more college tennis programs are being eliminated, sadly, and also how USTA is working with the ITA and the NCAA to save college tennis, to preserve programs, to make sure that college tennis is a viable opportunity for our young players as they come up through the sport. So I hope you will enjoy this week's episode. If you'd like to watch the video version, head on over to our YouTube channel or go to parentingaces.com. The link will be in the show notes there as well. For now, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Tim Cass. Tim Cass, welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm so thrilled to have a chance to chat with you about USTA and all things college tennis. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. Excited to be here today. Glad to see you healthy and smiling and, you know, the U.S. Open's right around the corner. There's so much going on right now. As you and I are talking, Venus and Serena are on court for their 31st meeting. Um, It's great to see tennis back in full swing. I I, I agree. And uh, the campus has been reopened for seven weeks. And uh, while it's a, a, a bit slower, I think we even started our conversation off the air. It's just nice to see forward progress in the world we're living in today. Absolutely. And so the thrust of our conversation today is kind of in response to an article I published a, a few weeks ago about college tennis, what's going on. It's not been pretty. We've seen over 60 programs cut on both the men's and the women's side across all the divisions, including NAIA and junior colleges. Um, it's, it's bleak out there. And I had the opportunity to speak with the ITA's Tim Russell and UTR's Mark Leshley. And we talked about the partnership they formed to offer some competitive opportunities to collegiate players as well as others to fill the gaps um, left by college tennis this fall. But I'm just wondering if you can help the Parenting Aces community understand what USTA's role is in college tennis. Yeah, thanks. And uh, so it is disturbing. We're following the the program situation very, very closely. Um, That being said, I think it should be noted that there's 2,200 tennis programs. And so as a pure percentage, uh, losing, at my count, it was 54. It looks like you you may have a more updated count of 60. It's never good. Uh, it's not good for the sport in general. And it's something we champion, and we're very lucky to have this robust collegiate model in the United States. It's, it's candidly, we're the only uh, country that has such a robust collegiate model. Um, and so we are monitoring it closely. College tennis for us is really, really important. It's the aspirational dream for our youth. 
college sports in America, whatever sport you play, you grow up wanting to play a college sport if you're in, into athletics and specific to tennis. So it's an aspirational dream uh, for our youth. And it's also the connective tissue. If you play college tennis, you now have a background to potentially make a, a career in the sport, whether that's a playing career or as I'm sitting here as a past collegiate player, I also also coached in college tennis. You may make a, a, a career in a different way. You're in, you're in the, the broadcaster or, or media space. Uh, there's marketing careers, et cetera. There's a lot of careers in our sport. So it's a natural pathway to the career. And then it's also a pathway to staying in the game for life. And I, as you know, our mission at the USTA is simply to grow and promote the development of the game of tennis. So, so college tennis is a critical bridge as this aspirational dream and staying in the game for, for life. And so as it pertains to what is our role uh, in college tennis, uh, there, there's several priorities we have. Uh, we've got them bucketed specifically in five buckets. Uh, and, and one would be sort of this, this concept around advocacy and relevancy. How do we help uh, elevate the game of college tennis to bring relevancy to it? Uh, and there, there's several things we're doing, and we can get into some details. Another bucket for us is sort of this pathway, this American pathway uh, to college tennis. How do we create opportunities uh, for our American juniors to find the right fits uh, in the collegiate space? Education uh, is another education for us specific to college tennis. Uh, while there is professional development education, in, in our world, we're really focusing on how do we educate the players and also the parents and the private coaches on the trickiness, if you will, of the pathway to, to college and, and the offerings. There's 2,200 programs. You know, what's the right fit for me uh, as X level, whether that's Division One, Two, Three, NAIA Junior College, but we do think there's a spot for everybody, uh, including tennis on campus. Uh, we we play a, a role in competition and events in the collegiate space, as an example, and I think this is one of the really uh, uh, unexpected positives of the UST National Campus. I think you're aware that it. We're three and a half years into the doors opening here, 100 court facility in Orlando, Florida, and college tennis has become one of the pillars of the campus. We host 400 dual matches a year of all divisions, all live streamed. We host college match day, which is kind of a high level uh, showcase of college tennis, if you will, made for TV on tennis channel event. Uh, we think that's a, a positive. We host numerous conference championships. We hosted the NCAA championship. We host again the NCAA championships division one this year and division three next year. So, so we're in the events uh, space and we feel like that's a, a real role, not just at the campus, but we influence or host events, other spots as well. But the campus has quickly proved to be a good hub uh, for a lot of collegiate activity. Um, and then the other for us is our partnership specific the ITA and or the UTR or the NCA, USPTA, PTR. Uh, there, there's a lot of connective partners that college tennis impacts a lot of those. Sure. sure. Yeah. I mean, so you guys definitely have your hand in it. And obviously USDA understands that college tennis is the carrot for so many families 
who choose tennis for their kids. Um, the tennis development pathway is not inexpensive. It's uh, very time consuming. It is a marathon, not a sprint, as we say all the time. And so there's some concern with these program cuts that we're seeing. And I, I get that it's a small percentage, but it's still you know, over 60 programs, that's a lot. And it's a lot of opportunities that are cut if you multiply that even times 10, which is a big yeah. roster. So, um, you know, what are what do we do as the tennis world to make sure that as these collegiate tennis opportunities may be getting reduced, that we still offer something of value to entice families to start their kids in this sport and jump on that developmental pathway. Well, great. And I want to make clear, I share your concerns. So whether it's 60, whether it's 20, any program being cut is a concern uh, of the USTAs and, and, and our, one of our major roles is trying to help bring relevancy uh, to these programs. Um, uh, in tennis, I think out of crisis sometimes comes opportunity. I think we're learning that tennis is a natural social distancing sport, something we need sure. to we need to build on and and promote. And I think as we as the restrictions get lessened across the country, I think you'll see much more push from a marketing perspective uh, to attract those either uh, stagnant players or new players to our game or. Uh, more youth to our game. And so I think collectively, I think that uh, can be a positive. I would tell you, one of my hopes, uh, it, it's me speaking here, but I think one of the things we're all learning, as you mentioned, tennis can be an expensive sport and it's, it can be a tricky uh, pathway to navigate for a talented junior and and, and a lot of resources is, are necessary to go into it. I think you're seeing a lot of good uh, discussion around regionalizing play. Yes. And and, and I, I think that collectively we're on to something there. Um, there's other models that other countries use in a very good uh, way to regionalize play. And I think you're seeing some good efforts with UTR and the ITA. Certainly uh, there, there's some pieces that the USTA I think is going to uh, get get involved in, but how do you regionalize play? One of the biggest opportunities, there's 20,000 college players. Right now, those college players, and I know you know this, typically when they turn 18 and go to college and maybe they graduate at age 22, primarily play amongst themselves. And primarily, they're, they're at the highest level in America. Those 20,000 players make up the highest group of players from a level-based play. And so imagine if our juniors and our college and our young adults, if there was a model to put together where they did interact more often, and, and that's how you can create regional play, in my opinion. There's a lot of juniors, the best juniors in the state of Florida, some of them may not like me saying this, would have a very, very difficult time beating the UCF players or the University of Florida sure. or the Florida State players or South Florida or even Rollins but they don't play each other. So how do we make it more affordable? Let's find a model that regionalizes play and interact those folks together. And I think that could even enhance our sport as a whole. And we're seeing that with this partnership with the ITA and UTR and this fall 
circuit that they're doing. And um, both Tim and Mark mentioned that, you know, they may carry this through into the spring, depending on what happens with spring sports at the college level. So I think we are starting to see this more. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see where USTA kind of fits into that regionalized play model, because I know I've been at the table for a lot of these conversations about what's going on in Europe in terms of junior development and, you know, these these uh, tournament series where juniors are doing exactly what you're talking about, Tim, where they're competing against the top adults in the area. You know, it's it's an opportunity to bring everybody together and keep everybody close to home. And certainly with COVID-19, anything we can do to eliminate travel, eliminate the need to stay at a hotel or eat out or any of that is a positive right now. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you talk about that in terms of what USTA is doing. Well, um, if I could just add one, cause I think the key sure. to this short and long term is there's a, there's a plethora of tournament offerings, especially right now out there. And I think the key to success is the coordination of these tournament offerings. And, and I think it, it, it will take some very good communication uh, for the different governing bodies or those active in this space to work to get together collectively. Uh, so a person at X level has a strategic schedule that is regionalized and it's well thought out as opposed to five events that are would be competing for the same person. Say for example, where you're living in Southern Cal that it needs to be really well thought out. You know, maybe there's one in San Diego this weekend, and then next weekend it's San, you know Fresno or San Francisco, and the next weekend it's Phoenix, Arizona, all potentially within driving distance. But right now we're seeing, hey, there might be a really high-level USTA junior tournament, and 60 miles away there's another event that would be competing for those same people. And so I think we've got to coordinate schedules mm-hmm. and in the United States, as you well know, is a, is a pretty big footprint. Yeah. And so, 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 but I think it's an exciting time. And, and what I do like is happening, especially in the collegiate space is athletic directors and administrators are using this word regional, not just for the sport of tennis, obviously, but for all sports, because some of these budgets have really grown out of control and there's overspending. Uh, and, and I think we can rein that in, which will also sustain the college tennis programs. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's funny because I have talked about this recently that I never really paid attention to anything other than tennis at, at the collegiate sports level. I just not interested. But all of a sudden, I've been paying very close attention to college football and its impact on all the other sports and especially tennis. Um, I've learned more in the last three, four months about how college sports works than I ever wanted to know. And sadly, it is a budgetary issue. And a lot of these universities are using COVID-19 as the excuse to cut these programs when, in fact, they've had these budget problems well before COVID-19 ever, you know, was even a thought. So I, 
it's interesting to hear you talk about that. And it will be very interesting to see what happens if football gets pushed to the spring as now is being discussed, or if it only happens on one half of the country and not on the other half in the fall, I, there's so much going on and so much up in the air. You're, you're exactly right though. And it is, it's concerning the trickle down. And, and I think people, you know, until the last five days had no idea that football was a $7 billion business. And for all intents and purposes, football is funding the vast majority of Olympic sports and college athletics. And, and there, there is a, a trickle down effect. One of the other things that we're working really hard on currently is really opening up your tennis facility to the public. Uh, and there's about 30% of the schools that do it and about 70% that don't. But we feel like those that can make turn their collegiate facility into a community hub really can kind of engage the community uh, in, in many ways where it helps to build relationships, uh, bring in tournaments, which brings media support. It, you can create a fan base. There's philanthropic and sponsorship opportunities by building these relationships with people if you're facility is open. We Very few f- programs that have been cut are their facil- have their facilities been open to the public and where it's viewed as a, a really piece of the fabric of the community and, and critical to the wellness of that community. So we're creating a playbook, if you will, to help colleges and assist colleges and coaches and administrators. How can we do this? They've got a wonderful asset. Most college facilities are at the highest level in terms of a, a facility infrastructure in a community. So right. how can we u- utilize those more often to engage our youth, engage our adult, adults, engage faculty, staff, et cetera? Is there maybe a grant program in the works for schools that do that? Yeah, yeah, interesting. So we are working on a concept surrounded around that. I think right now, the coaches are very interested. Uh, we did a survey two weeks ago to just Division One on the on this subject. Although we believe we will attack Division Two and and three, but had 190 responses in 48 hours, um, and it was very good information of basically how they were using their facility. And this is where these numbers are coming from. But I think the coaches are motivated because they recognize this is a way to kind of set themselves apart. It's very hard to open up your facility if you're a basketball coach or a softball coach or a baseball coach or track and field. But in tennis, this is a way you can touch the community. And by touching the community, again, it just makes you more relevant. And I think that the response has been very, very positive on how can asking for us to help them do this. Great. And, you know, honestly, with um, recruiting being put on hold by the NCAA, we just heard again, they've pushed it another month where the coaches can't actively recruit. This is a great time to engage the college coaches because they're not traveling. They're not working on their recruiting in the same way that they normally would be at this point in the year um, where, you know, they would be coming off national hard courts and, you know, working really hard. So the coaches are available. They've got time right now to engage in these kinds of conversations, I would think. And um, I'm glad to hear you got such a heavy response. I think that's awesome. Um, You know, one of the things that 
that I have been concerned about for some time with USDA is that it seems like USDA's focus when it comes to college tennis has been solely around Division One, and more specifically around identifying the top 25 programs and focusing on those in its weekly rankings during the dual match season and all that. And as you and I both know, most junior players are not going to find a spot at a top 25 division one program. There just aren't that many each year opening up and those top 25 schools are recruiting the creme, creme de la creme from around the world. And my argument is we need to shed more light on all of the other tennis programs that are out there and looking for American kids to fill their rosters. What are your thoughts on that? What, what is USTA talking about there? So, so my thoughts are 100% agree. Um, and 98% of the Division Three players are Americans and roughly 50% uh, in Division Two, It's split about equally. And then in Division One, it's about... Uh, 37% Americans. And so uh, we have have looked at that very, very closely. Uh, I think we have invested heavily in what we call spring break tennis and partnering with spring break tennis and utilizing the campus. I mentioned uh, 400 primarily division three and division two teams come and compete over a six week period at the campus of which we put in significant resource to live stream the matches and, and utilize kind of our media side to to promote this activity. And it's proven to be, I think, uh, very well received. And, and uh, we continue to try to build on that. You may or may not know, we put in a bid to the NCAA um, uh, Championships Committee. Uh, they just uh, met on the bids. They, they'll announce them. But to combine all three divisions into one festival of tennis. So have division one, two, and three men's and women's championship at one site. We had proposed to do that at the campus as a pilot. Uh, three out of four years, it'd be an 18-day festival of tennis. Uh, we would partner with Tennis Channel. We would partner with the ITA for them to bring their coaches convention here. We would bring recruiting events alongside that we'd be playing on the clay courts. And over an 18-day period, our goal is to shine a light on all three divisions at the highest level. And we think that uh, other sports, while not combining them all, if you look at college baseball as an example, when they really built up Omaha and Omaha became really special, it really elevated uh, the, 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 the sport of baseball. And Oklahoma City's doing it now. And uh, track and field has done it nicely in Eugene. We feel like, it. to your point, can we touch – we're one of the few that could touch all three divisions. Um, and so we're excited about the proposal we put in. We're excited about the bid and we're anxious to see what the result is. It's out of our hands now, but we did put in a bid to, to host that uh, with the, the idea of, again, shining more light on, on division two and three. So that would be the national championships for each division? Correct. Okay. Um, which, you know, I like it. Um, I missed having the D1 championships on a college campus when I came to the one at, at the campus in, in Lake Nona. Um, it's a gorgeous campus, no doubt. And I know the players and the coaches absolutely loved being there, but there was something missing. And I, you know, I, 
I mean, I love the idea of bringing all three divisions together and doing something. I don't know if I love it in lieu of having a national championship on an actual college campus, but y'all didn't ask me. <laughs> so. Well, with, with everything, there, there's pluses and minuses. And, you know, I think uh, we, we were excited to host uh, the, the 19 championship. We're excited to host the 21 and we're we're excited to host the 22 Division Three championships. So whether whether it's all combined, uh, I think you know one of the things, you know, candidly to bring 55 hours of live television coverage, it, it was pretty unique. Uh, and I think being a neutral site provides some some you know uh, opportunities that that don't favor a home team, if you will, for the most part. And uh, so. so I, I like the tradition of some of the, the on-campus places. When I was at Texas A&M, we hosted it there. I understand that piece and, and was part of the NCAA um, committee that decided that it was time to rotate championships. And as you well know, it was at the University of Georgia, I think probably 18 of 19 years at a period of time. So, Yeah. So you mentioned NCAA. What is USTA's role with NCAA when it comes to collegiate tennis? Yeah, um, I think we would view each other both as governing bodies. They're the governing body of, of collegiate athletics, and we're the governing body of the sport of tennis. And so uh, we would have a governing body relationship uh, with them. And I think they, they look to us in terms of rules, regulations, there also is a strong relationship between both of us with the ITA. Um, they've used collectively both sets of rules, if you will, um, and collegiate has some nuances that are unique to, to the college tennis space. Um, we have a group that's called uh, CTAC, which is uh, a group between the ITA, the NCA, and ourselves that basically is a communication tool for us all to align on priorities. Uh, for the most part, I think uh, hopefully that explains that the NCA, their, their biggest piece in the in the collegiate space is running the championship as a whole, which mm -hmm. is this carrot or plum at the top, and not many things trickle trickle down from there. So we have a very strong relationship. We talk to the NCA probably every other week on some some issue or front, and uh, we we consider them a partner. Being a non-revenue sport, we know tennis isn't high on the list with you with uh, NCAA in terms of you know utilizing a lot of resources and all that, and which is why the ITA and USTA have taken a, a stand and and really become more involved in college tennis. I it concerns me with all of these program cuts. You know what? What is the messaging coming out of USTA and maybe in partnership with the ITA around these program cuts and and what y'all can do together or independently working through the NCAA to ensure that college tennis continues to be a viable entity? Yeah, I think, well, one of the first things we did with the ITA uh, when COVID hit was we created, you know, 10 bullet points on the importance of college tennis and sent it to all conference commissioners and athletic directors. Um, and, and, you know, some of them would be quite obvious, but but others 
would be what we talked about, about opening your facility to the community. It's an opportunity that many have not looked at, to be honest with you. And, and in these times, not only opening up, it can be a moneymaker as well, or sure. should be a moneymaker. Um, and, and so I think uh, it, it does come down to relevancy. Um, and most of the time, I guess the beauty of coaching is sometimes you you're, have the an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, one of the best in the business, Greg Patton. And, you know, Greg was a Pied Piper, whether it was at UC Irvine or whether it was at Boise and, and turned both of those communities into tennis communities. And, and, and I think that's what uh, I challenge our coaches to do more of and to really engage the community and elevate the sport. Um, and by doing that, then the NCA will look at it through a different set of lenses. I think one of the things uh, you may agree, may disagree, but the format in college tennis, as you well know, uh, used to be six singles followed by three doubles, two out of three sets, add scoring, and oftentimes would take four to five hours. Not very conducive to a building a crowd or a following. It's very difficult to expect. And so a lot of hard work went into tinkering with the format, going back to no ad scoring, doubles first, a set followed by singles. I'm not suggesting that's perfect. I think the format still needs to be looked at. In today's world, things are changing quickly. And what is the right time uh, frame for a dual match? The team match is incredible product. And we need to celebrate the team match. It is the plum and we need to celebrate it. And we need to find the correct formula that allows people to attend the matches from beginning to end. So our college match day, we work very hard to, to draw a crowd and, and oftentimes have 1500 people. 80% of those folks leave after doubles. There's something wrong if 80% of the people are leaving after doubles. You know, and so we need to look at that. It's it's hard to get 1,500 people to a college match, but imagine if you were getting 1,500 people to a college match across the country at at hundreds of schools, would that elevate the sport in the, the eyes of an athletic administrator and or the NCA? I would say yes, it would. So I think we've really got to look at, at that. And, and I should probably retract a little bit. I'm not saying exactly 80% because – Sometimes they'll stay through the first few games of singles, but I, I can tell you, and we've tracked it, that a very large percentage leave after doubles and very few stay till the end when it's the most drama and not right. the best, best time to be there. So we have to, we have to look at that again, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, there's been so many conversations over the years about what's the best format, what scoring system to use, all of that. And I'm no expert. I didn't play college tennis myself, but have certainly been very involved in the college tennis world for the past 10 years or so. And, you know, watching my own kid play and, and luckily watching him play for Greg Patton for a year, which was amazing. But, um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. And as you said, this whole conversation around convincing the campuses to open their facilities to the community, this isn't a new concept. This is a concept that's been discussed ad nauseum, honestly. And we know the coaches that do a phenomenal job at engaging their local communities. Greg is one of them. Manny Diaz at Georgia is another. I mean, We've seen the successful coaches who have turned their 
their communities into, as you said, tennis communities by engaging. We're seeing it with Winthrop right now that's, you know, my gosh, they're working so hard to try to save that program. They've got restaurants in their community stepping up and offering to donate proceeds and okay. and all of that. And yet, you know, the school is is still considering cutting this this phenomenal program. It's it's really mind boggling. I, and like we said at the beginning, it's, it goes much deeper than just tennis. It's, it's a budget thing and um, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole today, <laughs> but. Um, well, the good, one good news I think is we're, we, the USTA are working uh, more closely than ever with the ITA, which in, in general, also the college coaches. And I think we've all recognized what, what can we do collectively that can help? And we, too, are working with the NCA as, as well. And, um, and it's just, I think, rowing the boat the same direction is a, is a significant step. And I think this time that we're living in is making us all think, are we focused on the right priorities? And we continue to look at our priorities. We all have limited resources, whether it's human capital or financial and are we putting those resources in the right place? And are we working with our partners in a, in a collective strategic manner in order to do that? And, and our partners in this case also include 2,200 college coaches or programs, 4,400 coaches. Uh, so, so it's something that we uh, all have a stake in uh, and, and we're, we're, we all should be excited about what the future could look like if we can continue to think progressively. Absolutely. Talking about the juniors and one of the buckets that you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation was the education bucket and educating parents and educating coaches and players about the process, the pathway. One thing that USDA has done in recent years is a college combine where players are invited down to play. Um, there's a fee involved, but the college coaches come and can watch them. And, and it's like any other sport combine with prospective student athletes. Are, are you aware of any discussions around expanding that concept and maybe doing multiple combines throughout the year to give these players more opportunities to be seen by coaches and also to give the coaches more opportunities to have a hands-on look at the, the American players across all levels. Yeah. Yeah. So great question. So, so the campus was built to sort of be a, uh, uh, what's the right word? A incubator, if you will, try things. And if it works, uh, how does it? How can it be modeled elsewhere? So the combine was a concept of, let's let's build this combine, and then can the 17 sections replicate this in their sections? And that's still the case. Um, that being said, we've entered kind of a unique period. So what we, we're doing right now is trying to work uh, ourselves on uh, working with PlaySite on sort of videoing. Uh, matches, uh, I'm, I'm choosing the wrong word here, but having one-day events where we can showcase matches, tell the college coaches, here's who's being who's playing, and mm -hmm. so they can recruit uh, virtually, if you will. So virtual kind of events is, is yeah. something that, and we're working with sections on, on that concept as well. Prior to COVID, we just kind of released a program that we were going to uh, give college coaches grants 
to go and recruit regionally uh, at USTA events. Um, I think one of the things with the UTR rating that has clearly become uh, a resource for college coaches, it also has probably taken them off the road in terms of going to a sectional event or an L1, 2, or 3 event in their, their region. And we know that when college coaches go and watch somebody play, they may look and say, oh, Lisa Stone, I remember her two years ago. Look at how much she's improved. She was having trouble with her forehand or backhand. That's improved. She's she's grown four inches or serves now 110 miles per hour. And so we think it's really important for the coaches to put their eyes on our American players. So we've started a grant system that is really meant to be regional in nature, not to fly across the country and, and, and recruit somebody, but to really look within your region, your state. And so we're excited about that. We put that on pause because of the situation we're in, but that will be activated again next year. But but clearly we've got to get our college coaches to get get eyes on our, our youth. And I think that's critical. And we, we also need our youth uh, to stay engaged in the sport. And, you know, too many of our youth are dropping out at age 16. And it I know, you know, from experience, it's a, it's a very competitive and tough pathway, but I think it's something that we've got to look, look at. And, you know, part of that, I think, in my mind, revolves around the word fun. And tennis is a selfish sport or can be a selfish sport. And so how do we create an atmosphere around our sport for our youth that, that allows them to have fun? I, I'm a big promoter of high, high school tennis as an example. I think it's a huge opportunity. Imagine Absolutely. If, if our best players played high school tennis and two to three months out of the year, they've got that experience with a team and had fun representing their high school, their community and, and, they just got, they learned those lessons. So, so I think that's an opportunity for us uh, to, to look at as we create this model and what's the right pathway for a junior, you know, what would be wrong with playing eight months of individual tournaments and three or four months of team events? Yeah, no, I think it's great. I'm one of the issues around high school tennis. And I know, you know, this is these state high school associations oftentimes make it very difficult for high-level junior tennis players to compete for their schools and continue to develop their game independently and play tournaments outside of their high school team. And so maybe, and maybe this is already happening, USTA can get involved with the state high school associations and, you know, maybe help them understand why <laughs> why it's a, a win-win for the top-level juniors in their high schools to be able to play. Yeah, I, I agree. And it is it is tricky. And the high schools, as you know, play at different times of the year, yeah. some in the fall, some in the spring, because we'd love to have a high school team national championship. We think that could be a really yeah. a cool, cool pathway and it would encourage that. And we were looking at, at that idea and that concept. Um, but it, I think the point is it centers around team play and and having fun and keeping our kids engaged in the game. And, you know, many, many folks mature a, a heck of a lot between age 15, 17, 18, and that should be a period of, of growth. And oftentimes we're seeing people drop out of the game at that stage. And so I think that's something that we've got to really look carefully at. Well, they, 
have a lot of other things pulling their attention at that age, right? Um, that too. So Believe we. Me, I know. I've got a 15 and 17 year old. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not just tennis that suffers, you know, with kids that age. I mean, every sport sees extensive drop off at in the teenage years, and you know, it's just a function of of maturing and you know, all the other things that can attract kids away from devoting many, many hours and many, many weekends to a sport as opposed to their buddies or their music or their video games. So, you know, yeah, we get it. We get it. Um, what else do you want us to know about USTA's role in college tennis? Yeah, I think, I, I think, uh, we're just excited to play a role and, and we're, we're excited to continue to build uh, on kind of these concepts and partnering with the ITA uh, and the NCA and uh, excited about what the national campus I think has done and can continue to do um, uh, for the sport as a whole, but specific to college tennis. I think there's some exciting things happening in the facility space out in California with the Kimmelman center there's a, a great project in Austin with these larger tennis centers and what impact can they have on the growth of, of college tennis. Uh, we're excited about our partnership with Tennis Channel to have a studio here at the campus and what, what can that mean to college tennis as a whole. I mean, I have, uh, maybe it's grandiose, but dreams of having a, a college tennis show every week, if possible, or a, a kind of a lead up, a road to the NCAA championships. And how do, how do we also integrate some of these great things that the schools are doing and make it affordable to get footage of some of these great matches that could be maybe showcased uh, elsewhere? So, so I think there's a lot of exciting things uh, happening. Uh, and that's motivational in our mind that if, if our youngsters can see collegiate tennis on, on television, much like they see college basketball and baseball and, and football, that's aspirational uh, for them. It's not the answer, the only answer, but it is aspirational. And I think it also elevates uh, the sport in terms of how an administrator uh, views that sport or, or how a donor might view that sport and, and where they may uh, look to give philanthropic gifts. So uh, those are a couple just off the top of my head. And I will say, I mean, I've heard more than once from businesses and employers who say they, when they are looking to hire, they look first to collegiate athletes and tennis players specifically are at the top of the list of who they're looking at. So regardless of, like you mentioned it earlier in the conversation, Tim, um, you know, that playing college tennis leads to jobs as a coach or in other aspects of tennis, it's it's beyond that. It, it can lead to jobs across the board in all professions. And there are many, many employers out there who love hiring college tennis players. So, you know, I, I think agree. that message needs to keep getting pushed out. And it's not all about the college tennis scholarship, but about the experience of having played college tennis and then parlaying that into opportunities after college. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, the tennis players tend to be very uh, high-level student athletes on a campus, and 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 have a very good track record after graduation. And it's something we need to celebrate. And I think storytelling is another thing that we all need to do a good job of. Which you're doing a great job as individually. If these you know collectively 2,200 uh, schools 
uh, continue to do really good storytelling. It just elevates the profile of your student athletes in your program. One of the things you mentioned, or I'm not sure if it was you or one of the other gentlemen, but in your uh, interview that you did with Andy Katz and Tim Russell a few weeks ago, um, y'all talked about getting the pro players who are former college players more involved in the college tennis scene. What are you hearing around that aspect of things? Yeah, I think you're seeing more players crack that top hundred that came through a collegiate pathway, male and female. And so, um, and all of them are great advocates. Uh, they do it naturally. They're great advocates. I think the, the question is how can we utilize their message uh, more strongly in the platforms they have more strongly. And, um, and so we continue to try to look for opportunities uh, to do that, Lisa. Um, and, and I think they, they are great voices for college tennis, but also college athletics. And as you mentioned, this whole pathway and the education and what you go on to do after uh, your sport. Maybe it's time for um, an ad campaign around college tennis and the top professional U.S. players or not even just the U.S. players, but all the former college players that are having success on the pro tour. I don't uh, know. I'm going to write that down, Lisa. Okay, good. <laughs> there's, there's a great contingent, as you know, uh, that are out there that have done it. And I think celebrating college tennis in any way, shape, or form just brings greater awareness to it. Absolutely. Well, Tim Cass, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank and you. I'm excited to hear that USTA is really taking on a, a it seems like a bigger role in college tennis and preserving that pathway for the American junior players. So yay for that. Thank you very much. And, uh, oh, go ahead. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate the time and uh, excited about what you're, you're doing for our sport as a whole. And, um, and, and really that the USTA is here to try to assist in, in uh, this pathway piece for our American juniors. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us, Tim, and to our listeners and our viewers, thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.